be looking at specifically Ephesians 6, 17, ver- uh, the second half of that verse. But for this reading, we will read ver- chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. So please meet me in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. The text reads like this. The Apostle Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me, given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. We are weak, but thou art mighty. Guide us with your powerful hand. Father, we pray that as we come to your word, you would take your word and you would implant it in our hearts and you would make us strong. You would strengthen us. You would equip us to do all that you have called us to do as disciples of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. The Word of God is a hammer that shatters hard hearts. The Word of God is a fire that consumes the dross of insincerity. The word of God is a seed that when fully grown bears the fruit of righteousness in a once sinful life. The word of God is living and active. The word is a a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. And the word of God is the sword of the spirit with which we are to disarm and wound the devil. We arrived some 
weeks ago, didn't we, at the fullest exploration of the subject of spiritual warfare in the Bible as we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. And Paul's exhortation to us has been and is today, stand. Because although the, the battle rages between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, the battle is the Lord's and therefore the victory is sure. We are simply called upon to stand firm and see the salvation of our God. And that's why Paul has been taking us on something of a, of a guided tour, as it were, through the believer's armory and showing us how each and every piece of the Christian's armor enables us to stand. We've looked at the belt of truth, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness. Last week, we looked at the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And as you'll have noticed, all of those pieces of armor are items of defense. But Paul tells us this week in verse 17, to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And the word that Paul uses there for, for sword is Mashira. And in other words, it's a, it's a sword, not so much the, the long sword that the, the soldier would wield as he's riding into battle on horseback, but actually, uh, more accu accurately, uh, a dagger designed, in other words, for close warfare, for hand-to-hand -hand combat. Because the point is, as we stand firm, we're to be ready to fight when our adversary draws near. And that time will come in all of our lives. And when it does come, we are to be far more than simply protected, but equipped for battle and for warfare. And that's why we're going to devote this whole message to verse 17b, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now listen, next Sunday morning, Christmas Eve and Next Sunday evening, there will be some Advent sermons for us. Okay, there will be carols. Everyone calm down. Save your emails this week, please. Our adversary, the devil, is far more skilled and far more shrewd than any of us give us credit. And therefore, we need to learn how to wield the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And that's why we're still here in Ephesians 6, here toward the back end of December. Someone said this, face the truth. We are at war. And our razor sharp weapon is God's word. We are fools to keep it in the scabbard simply because our culture says it cannot cut. That is what the enemy wants us to believe that it is irrelevant, archaic, and, and not understandable. So keep it in the sheath where it is, of course, harmless. And so I wanted to ask this morning then, what does the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, actually do when we take it up? 
What does it do when it is in our, our right hand, out of the scabbard and in our hands? Well, we're going to see today, number one, God's word disarms the tempter. And number two, God's word wounds the tempter. So number one, God's word disarms the tempter. I want you to go left with me in your Bibles until you reach the gospel of Matthew. Turn to gospel, uh, the gospel of Matthew and to chapter four. I want to hear pages turning. Matthew chapter four and verse one. Matthew chapter four, verse one says, then Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, many of you will know that the devil tempts Jesus three times here in this passage and that Jesus disarms the devil as he wields the word, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We're only gonna be looking at the first instance of that today, partly due to time. But if we will wield the word the way Jesus did at his first temptation, we too will be equipped to disarm the devil the way Jesus did. Now, before we we look at that, I know what some of you are are thinking. Some of you are are thinking to yourselves, "Uh, actually, Hugh, Uh, This passage is about how Jesus is the true and the better Israel, and it is. Uh, You are right in saying that. Notice that Jesus passes through the waters of baptism in chapter 3, and then he enters a wilderness in chapter 4 to be tempted by the devil for 40 days, just as Israel passed through the waters of the Red Sea and then entered a wilderness to be tempted for 40 years. But where Jesus, uh, but where Israel failed rather, Jesus succeeded. But that doesn't invalidate the fact that Jesus did disarm the devil via the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And friends, if that was Jesus' strategy, then let it be ours. Uh, Matthew 4 verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. What was the devil saying? Well, the devil was saying, Jesus, if you're the son of God, don't wait for God to provide for you. Use your own power to provide for yourself. Bypass God and use your power to get what you want in a self-serving way. Verse four, but he, Jesus answered, it is written, Deuteronomy chapter eight, verse three, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is, God's words are more satisfying to me than shameful gain. I have God's words, Jesus says, what could I ever want with sin? My soul is plenty satisfied with God's word. Therefore, I can say no to sin. It wasn't that eating bread was sinful. In fact, it's interesting, all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record the feeding of the 5,000 where Jesus used his divine power to feed the multitude for their sake. But the devil was tempting Jesus here to get a good thing in a wrong 
way by the misuse of his power. But again, Jesus' reply in essence was, God's word is all sufficient for me. God's words are more satisfying to me than whatever you could offer me in and through sin. God's words are what I live on. Well, friends, here is how we disarm the devil via the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, by being more satisfied in God's words than we could ever be via sin. Today, the, in the cost of living nightmare, maybe the devil will draw near to you and he'll say, listen, if you're, if you're a child of the living God, you, you shouldn't just be scraping by. Why don't you clock hours at work that you never worked? Or, or why don't you submit for expenses non-work-related costs? Or, or, or to those of you struggling in your marriage, maybe the, the enemy will draw near to you and he'll say, listen, your, your husband should treat you 10 times better than he treats you. What's a bit of office flirting? Or even go out with that guy. And if you sleep with him, you only, your husband only has himself to blame. Or yes, he's a non-Christian, but you're lonely after all. If he makes you feel good, what's the big deal? Or if you're a child of God, you should be way higher up the ladder at work. Your, your manager trusts you. Why don't you put colleagues down to him so that your manager will lift you up? And all of those things in their place can be good things. A bit of extra money, a bit of romance, a bit of success at work. And nothing wrong there. But the power to say no so the sinful obtaining of those things happens when you are more satisfied in God's word than you are in sin. Simply knowing that something is wrong will not stop you for, for, from doing it for very long. The way to disarm the devil is by being more satisfied in the word of God than with anything the devil could offer to you. That is when you'll disarm him. Wives, how tempted would you be to try, trade your wedding wing, ring for a, a soggy sandwich that's been on Hoylake Beach for two months? All right, men, how tempted would you be to trade your family home for a cardboard box down a back street in Liverpool? Right, young people, how, how tempted would you be to trade your car for a three-year-old's tricycle or a bus pass? Or, 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 or how, how tempted would you be to swap your inheritance money for a bag of Monopoly money? My guess is not much. Why? Because those things can't compare to what is best. And when the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is what is best in your life, you'll be able to say no to what is lesser, to what is of inferior worth. Now, now my guess is, every Christian in this room is thinking to themselves, yes, you, I agree with what you're saying, but perhaps... Some of us are thinking, but truth be told, that's just not where I am in my life right now. I, I, I look back and I, I remember times when, when the word of God was, was everything to me. But if the truth is told, 
right now, I can, I can take or leave it. And sometimes when I leave it, I don't even miss it. How can I love it again? How, how can I be like David when he spoke of God's words and he said, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Well, let me give you my best answer to that by finding relevant promises for present trials. By finding relevant promises for present trials. Friends, this is how we do it. So let's say right now that you're, you are under an impossible load. Maybe you're trying to care for relatives and their needs are just above and beyond anything you can give them. Or maybe there's that family member you're looking to emotionally uphold whose children are, are on drugs or you're broke and they're, and they're laying people off at work and the devil comes to you on Friday and he says to you, listen, just drown your sorrows with alcohol and forget all about it for a moment. Friend, you need to run to Isaiah 41.10 where God says to you, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Or let's say the doctor says it's cancer and it is so advanced there's not a lot we can do. The devil may come to you and he may say, just commit suicide. It will be more dignified. It will be less painless. But you can run to Psalm 73 where Asaph the psalmist says to God, nevertheless, I am continually with you. And you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on the earth, there is nothing I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Or let's say the, the reality of aging is, is starting to grate on you. Uh, the idea of, of not being as independent as you've always been is starting to depress you. You don't want to be an inconvenience on people. Friend, you need to run to Isaiah 40 verse 31 where it says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings with eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Or let's say you're here today and you're, you're not yet a Christian. And this, this idea of Handing over the reins to God is just such a frightening prospect to you. Friend, you need to grab Jesus' words with both hands when Jesus said this, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That's the best offer you've ever heard. And when you live in the, the good of God's words, the devil's temptations will lose their power. Why? Because whatever it is that he's offering you will look like the scum of the earth in comparison to the word of God. And you'll be able to say no to what is lesser in view of what is greater in the word of God. Of God, even if it is a good thing like bread in a wilderness when you've been fasting for 40 days and 40 
nights. Uh, do you know, when we, we were expecting Ada, our, our eldest daughter, my, I had a three-year contract at a, at a church, and it was, it was definitely for three years because we did, the church didn't have any more money for that. And the time started to approach, and we were, again, expecting our firstborn. And so there was another church down in Nottingham that had offered me this full-time job. And, and from a, a human perspective, everything looked perfect. Uh, we loved what we saw of the church from a, a worldly perspective. It all looked like a no-brainer. But I would, I would get on my knees before God and I would put this opportunity before him and I had no peace about it day or night. And so I'd start thinking to myself things like, if I turn this job down and Gloria comes away from her work as we have our, our first child, what am I going to do if there's no job there? And so my mind would just run through all of the promises of God as he promises to provide for his people. And God's words were more precious to me back then than silver or gold or more, more sweet than honey because they were all that I had to rely on. And when we live our lives like that, whatever it is that the devil is offering us, we'll look like dross in comparison to the silver of God's words. Friends, that's how we need to live, day in and day out. So what does the sword of the Spirit do when we take it up? Well, it disarms, God's word disarms the tempter. But second, God's word wounds the tempter as well. Now, do we remember earlier in, uh, in Ephesians 6, what did Paul say? He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So church, make no mistake, the war that we wage is not against unbelievers. Uh, the war that we wage is not against human beings. It's not against other people in the world. Our wrestle, Paul says, is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, Satan and demons. And the sword of the Spirit wounds them. How does it do that? Well, when it liberates their captives, namely unbelievers. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And when the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, cuts into an unbeliever's heart, yes, it wounds them, but it also then heals them. It injures them and it makes them whole. It, it kills and it makes alive. And in so doing, it paralyzes the devil's power in their life. If you're here today, and you're not yet a believer, or if you are a, a believer rather, this is what happened in your life. Remember, because th there was a time when your heart was dead to God and you wanted it that way. You were happy with blind eyes and with a dead soul, but then the word of God cut through your heart the way a red hot knife would cut through butter as someone 
put it, and your heart began to beat with love for God for the very first time, and you felt alive. And if you're here today and you're, you're not yet a Christian, perhaps this is exactly what God's word is doing in your life as you come here, and it is uncomfortable. It, it feels about as uncomfortable as someone driving a sword right through your, your chest. But friend, great good is being done in your life because the devil's power over you is being broken. That's what the sword of the Spirit does to wound the enemy. It liberates his captives. But not only that, we also wound the tempter when we stab him with the truth. Spurgeon said this, he said, when the devil opens his mouth in slander, it gives me an opportunity to ram the sword of truth down his throat. And as a church and as believers, we need to learn how to do that. So perhaps when the devil opens his mouth in slander and he says to you, you're gonna fall away. Jesus doesn't have the truth or the, the strength rather to, to keep you. We can ram John 10 down his throat when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. And when the devil's, devil opens his mouth in slander and he says, God hates you, he doesn't love you, we can ram the sword of Jeremiah 31 verse 3 down his throat when God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And when the devil opens his mouth in slander and he says, God will give you up someday and wash his hands off you, we can ram Romans 8 down his throat where Paul writes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But friends, listen, we won't be able to do all of that if we don't do what Paul says here in Ephesians 6, which is take up the sword of the Spirit. In other words, when it's in the scabbard or when it's six feet away from us, how are we going to wound the enemy when the sword isn't in reach? Friends, we need to be taking it up every day. And so I want to close by, by giving us four practical ways by which we can do that. I just came across these great four helps this past week in my study and I want to share them all with us as a church, number one, read the word. It doesn't get much more obvious than that, does it? 
read the words. All right, 2024 is approaching. And I just want to say to those of you who really do struggle to, to read the Bible day in and day out, the best thing you can do for yourself is being prepared via a Bible reading plan by getting ahead of the game and choosing a plan. If you don't know uh, any good Bible reading plans or if you don't know where to, to go to look for them, come up and grab me after. I'd love to point you in the right direction or text me this week and I'll send you a link to a, some good Bible reading plans for next year. Number one, read the word. Number two, meditate on the word. Don't read the Bible like some people read the newspaper. Scan, 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 scan. Next page, scan, 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 scan. Chew on it. Consider it. Stew on it. Think on it morning, afternoon, and night. And as it informs your mind, it will change your heart. And when it changes your heart, it will change your life. And when it changes your life, it will change the lives of those around you. I read this uh, past week that Hudson Taylor, the founder of the China Inland Mission, conquered immense hardships by daily meditation on God's word. Listen to this. It was not easy for Mr. Taylor in his changeful life to make time for prayer and Bible study, but he knew that it was vital. Well do the writers remember traveling with him month after month in northern China by cart and wheelbarrow with the poorest of inns at night. Often with only one large room for workers and travelers alike, they would screen off a corner for their father and another for themselves with curtains of some sort. And then after sleep had brought a measure of quiet, they would hear a match struck and see the flicker of candlelight which told them that Mr. Taylor, however weary, was poring over the little Bible in two volumes, always at hand. And from 2 to 4 a.m., was the time he usually gave to prayer, the time he could be most sure of being most undisturbed to wait upon God. Number three, memorize the words. What did the psalmist say? Psalm 119, 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. And, and could we think of a, of a better summary of what was going on in Matthew chapter four, Jesus did not have the scroll of Deuteronomy with him in the wilderness, it was in the synagogue. And yet the scroll of Deuteronomy was in his mind and in his heart. I have stored up your words that I might not sin against you. Start with your favorite passage of the Bible, memorize it and have it change you. And then lastly, study the words. Go deeper than you've ever gone before. Why? There are mines of gold beneath your feet, but you've got to dig to get to them. We are at war, someone said. And there is a sense in which warfare is to be our occupation, avocation, and preoccupation. We must always be in armor. We must sleep in it, and though wearing it, still put it on daily. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel boots of peace, the shield of faith, are they in place? And then we must rever reverently and joyfully take the helmet of salvation from our Savior's pierced hand 
slip it on, straighten up, stand tall with imperial confidence, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation. Now we must reach out our hand and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and raise it to him in worshipful salute. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. And then we'll close our time in, in, in worship. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you and praise you that you have left your people fully protected and fully armed for the battle before us. We thank you that we have all that we need for life and godliness. We thank you, Lord, that there is no way that we could blame you for any defeat in our lives because you have equipped us with your armor from head to toe. We thank you, Lord, for that belt of truth, for the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. And as a church, how we pray that we would be an equipped people ready to disarm and wound the tempter when he comes to us with all of his lies and temptations and that we would each enter glory victorious in him and giving praise to the one who equipped us and saved us in whose name we pray, amen.